The news for June 18th starts with this story of public indignation. Anyone wanting proof of the indignation felt by citizens at the action of federal members of parliament in raiding the treasury and increasing their salaries by grab methods had only to visit the Melbourne Town Hall last night when the monster indignation meeting was held. Though the meeting was not to begin until 8 o'clock, there were eager citizens waiting on the steps of the hall at 6 o'clock. When the meeting opened, every seat was occupied on the floor and the galleries and hundreds of people were unable to gain admission. The audience was composed of people of every shade of political opinion and there was no question of its enthusiasm. Every condemnation of the grab by the speakers was greeted by uproarious cheers. The Lord Mayor, who was in the chair, said if they wanted good legislators, they had to pay for them. That was met with disorder and booze as a voice said, You've got to get the good men first. The Lord Mayor said he objected to Parliament being elected without a word to the people of what they intended to do about their salaries. The Members of Parliament, after having been elected only five months, passed a measure in 22 hours, giving themselves an advance in salary of £400 a year. Groans from the audience. When Members of Parliament wanted to fill their own pockets, they could act quickly enough, but when they were wanted to fill the pockets of the people by good government, they acted slowly. That was met with cries of, put them out, from the audience. Yes, this story of federal politicians trying to increase their own salaries comes from the age in Melbourne. For June 18, 1920, this was the news. This was the news is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one news update. I'm Broderick Matthews, bringing you stories from a century ago that still seem to be repeating today. Kicking off today's news from the 1920s was that piece on the federal politicians trying to increase their salary. You may have heard me say it was a £400 increase, which if we put that in today's money, they were trying to get a pay rise of almost $30,000. Hard to believe. Is it? Now that story on our politicians was coming out of Melbourne because that's where Parliament was at the time. But this story on some fun brewing in the capital comes to us from the Braidwood Dispatch and Mining Journal in New South Wales. While in Queanbeyan last week and during his speech at the Returned Soldiers Banquet... Mr Austin Chapman said he had the Prime Minister's assurance that the building of the capital at Canberra would be proceeded with. If it does not, said Mr Chapman, something will happen. The House is pretty evenly divided, and watch what will happen if we do not get a fair go. Parliament should keep its bond with New South Wales. It was now opportune for Parliament, he said, to get out of Melbourne and into its own home, where there would be a federal atmosphere. As their representative, he could assure them that there was going to be some fun in Parliament. And if there's two words that definitely go together, they are fun and Parliament. In other local news, this piece on the Bundaberg Mail from a mild sensation on the railways. 
After making a trip from Yandina this morning, William Shaw, engine driver of the train, discovered what he believed to be portions of a man's scalp adhering to one of the wheels of the engine. The government medical officer, after examination, however, expressed the opinion that the remains were not those of a human being, as was at first supposed. What they were is anyone's guess, but the newspaper article stops there. Let's move on to some farm news now. This piece on profitable cauliflowers from the West Australian in Perth. As an instance of what can be produced in the Wanneroo district, the Department of Agriculture has forwarded particulars regarding a cauliflower grown by Mr G Leach on his property in that locality, which weighed 35 pounds. That's almost 16 kilos in today's weights. Mr Leach stated that he had some hundreds of similar plants growing on swampland on his property and that similar cauliflowers were sold on the Perth market at four and six each. In other farming news, some remarkable milking in the Bundaberg Mail, Queensland. Mr C.B. Holmes of Gundia, and formerly of Mount Perry, draws attention to some good milking he has been doing recently. On one day, six of his cows gave five gallons of milk, which he separated and got six pounds of cream, which he made into three pounds of butter, the cream being 24 hours old. In the metric, that's almost 20 litres of milk to 3 kilos of cream and 1.5 kilos of butter. The article continues. It appears that he was drying off the cows and let them go for four days before this particular milking. The milk was coloured but must have been nearly all cream as it was so thick that it would hardly run out of the separator. The calves had also been taken off the cows for four days before milking. Mr Holmes thinks that record is hard to beat. The cows had been running on paspalum grass. Finally, some international Australian news. A concert by Wireless reported in the Daily Mail of Brisbane. The Daily Mail is deluged with letters testifying to the remarkable success of Madame Melba's concert by Wireless Telephony. Madame Melba was heard in Paris, Berlin, The Hague, Madrid, Sweden and by all liners. British wireless amateurs are enthusiastic. Reports from Cornwall state that the Australian nightingale was heard loud and clear. A message from Gloucester states that her singing was simply beautiful. God bless her. There are a hundred similar tributes. What a story, the wonderful Dame Nellie Melba being broadcast around the world by the miracles of wireless telephony. Let's reflect on that and have a short break with this advertisement. Are you aware that Warns Wonderwool stops pain instantly? No matter whether it be the agonising pains of rheumatism or sciatica, the acute pains of toothache, neuritis, earache, neuralgia, headache, or abdominal pains. This magic wrap is just as effective in stopping pain caused by lung, chest, or throat troubles. If you're in pain, apply Warns Wonder Wool and the pain will stop. The medicated cotton wool generates heat, stimulates circulation, dispels blood congestion, and stops pain. It is a proved remedy certain in its results. Always keep it in the house. You never know when pain will come. 
Price, two and six a packet, of all chemists and stores. Or direct from VA Warn, 186 George Street, Sydney. Back to the news now for June 18, 1920. The big news dominating the papers was the visit of the Prince of Wales, who at the time was Edward VIII. The enigmatic prince, who was briefly to take the throne in 1936 after the death of his father, George V, only to then be succeeded by his brother, George VI, uh, before the end of the year. But let's go back 16 years before that, because we're in 1920 for this news, and explore the stories that show how excited Australia was to welcome the Prince of Wales. This piece in the evening news on the citizens' greeting. That Sydney greeted the Prince in a garb worthy of her reputation for loveliness. None who saw the city during the last two days can doubt. The citizens have risen magnificently to the occasion. Officialdom did its part. The government and semi-governmental institutions and the City Council have provided ample and appropriate decorations. But without the splendid showing made by the citizens themselves, the official decorations would have been but oases in a desert of darkness. The business people of Sydney have flooded the city with light and splendour, Their premises are gay with bunting, an emblem by day, and brilliant with artistic electric lighting by night. There is nothing niggardly in their distribution of colour and light. A prosperous city gave a prince a princely welcome. Its merchants and citizens did not stint their expenditure. The reputation of the greatest city south of the line was in their hands, and well they have upheld it. And more on this magnificent greeting comes to us from the Braidwood Dispatch and Mining Journal in New South Wales. This article talks about the arrival of the Prince. The boat, the renowned, steamed into Sydney Harbour on Wednesday morning exact to timetable. The weather was glorious and the city looked resplendent in its gorgeous decorations. The streets for the nonce were converted into a veritable fairyland. Magnificent arches were erected here and there. On her arrival at her moorings, the renown was greeted with a salute of guns from the Australia, with cock-a-doodle-doos from all manner of vessels. The harbour presented a wonderful scene, and Sydney can claim the honour of having given the best aquatic welcome to His Royal Highness. His Royal Highness then proceeded from the landing stage to the shore, and as he set foot on shore, the Naval Guard of Honour from the Cruiser Australia presented arms, and the band played God Save the King. After the landing ceremonies in Farm Cove, the royal procession began from the Domain, the route being along Macquarie Street, Queen's Square, College Street, Wentworth Avenue, Hay, George and Bridge Streets, thence into Government House grounds. As the signal flashed along the route that the procession was underway, the excitement became intense. A great multitude was wedged tightly in on either side of the streets. Windows and roofs of buildings were packed with spectators. Every inch of space was occupied, and as Britain's future king hove in sight, looking happy as a sandboy and bowing right and left, the suppressed emotions broke loose and the heir apparent was cheered vociferously while handkerchiefs were waved in token of welcome. His Royal Highness was evidently well pleased by the spontaneous demonstration. All along the route the cheering was continued. 
During the royal progress, Mr Hughes, who was Prime Minister at the time, met with a mixed reception. There were occasional cheers, but for the most part during the two miles progress through the city, he was hooted. While they were welcoming the prince with a procession through the streets and arriving on his boat, there were aerial displays going on ahead, but this piece in the Daily Telegraph from Sydney talks about the danger that that posed. Although there were not many aeroplanes aloft on Wednesday during the prince's landing, some of those visible gave a lively exhibition of spectacular flying, which is allowable enough when it does not menace the safety of the people below. An aeronaut flying over the city met with one of those mishaps from which the aeroplane is not yet immune, and by good luck and good management, he was able to volplane into Woolloomooloo Bay instead of crashing in the domain, where the high probability of killing a number of people who are holidaying and seeking pleasure and not death. This particular misadventure fortunately ended without disaster, but the danger attendant on flying low over a crowded city could not be more significantly illustrated. We've had numerous warnings that just such an accident threatening the lives of the citizens is likely to result from the perilous practice of flying low over the streets and houses. An aviator is entitled to fly as low as he chooses when his own safety is alone concerned, but should be prohibited from imperiling other people, just as a motorcar driver is forbidden to speed along a crowded thoroughfare. The control of flying over our cities calls for immediate legislation. Airmen may dice with death as often as they please, but the stakes should be their own lives and not the lives of others. Hmm, a call for some sensibility there and control of the skies. Meanwhile, one final story of the prince tells of a uh, special visit that he made in his time in Australia and it was a sporting visit indeed as he took a trip to the races. This from the Daily Telegraph. I'll back him as a winner, and so the speaker might. He shouted it as the Prince of Wales left Randwick Racecourse yesterday. He was a winner. If anything could have provoked greater democratic sentiment than his sudden descent on the racecourse, it would be difficult to find. All along the line, the prince was as one of the crowd. For the nonce, he was shorn of officialdom, and one girl actually went within an ace of kissing him. She half succeeded. Randwick Racecourse was thronged by a great crowd yesterday, the general belief being that the prince would turn up. Officials said he would not. The crowd, though, did not believe them and went along. The first race went by, the second, no prince. As they say out back, it looked a blue duck. Then, just as the people were busy collecting on the second race, a car shot through, followed by others. Somebody shouted, The Prince! And there was a gorgeous stampede. Women in dresses that did not permit of speed threw all modesty to the winds and went after that car. A couple climbed through a window and got on an awning just above where the car stopped. They shouted greetings to the prince and he saw them. Meantime, about his car had surged a great crowd. One girl tried to embrace him. Whether she succeeded or not is a matter for argument. She went, as one onlooker said afterwards, darned near it. Two others got hold of his hands and shook them. 
they were happier for the rest of the day than if they'd backed half a dozen winners. The prince was abashed. Now, the article continues on talking about the people he met at the racecourse, including some jockeys and a group of maimed soldiers from the recent war. Then the article goes on to say, The prince is a true racing sport. This was his procedure yesterday. First, he sat down, lit a cigarette, and then adjusted his glasses. There was no interruption during his survey of the course. He consulted his book, had another look through the glasses, and, in true punter fashion, arose and made his way downstairs to the ring. He made several wages, and as he took a hundred to three about gold he made, is presumed to have had a profitable day. When the last race had been run, the prince, preceded by the Inspector General of Police, essayed to make his escape by running round the track to the Kensington entrance. He almost got away with it, but the Flatites perceived the move and they swarmed over the track, slowing his car to a snail's pace and compelling him to stand and make his acknowledgement of a remarkable finale to his unofficial day at Randwick. Sounds like a fun bloke spending a day at the races here in Australia. Let's have a short break. For service and reliability, use Dunlop Rubber Company tyres. Thousands of miles, free of trouble, follow using Dunlops. Their quality and thickness ensures economy in tyre upkeep and enables you to get the best out of motoring. Always use them. It pays. For the up-to-date 1920 motorists enjoying a motor picnic, Milkmaid Coffee and Milk is indispensable. Perfect creamy coffee, refreshing and invigorating, is made in a moment with Milkmaid. Just a spoonful of Milkmaid Coffee and Milk and hot water. No sugar or milk required. No bother, no waste. Milkmaid Cocoa and Milk and Chocolate and Milk are just as delicious and handy. These time and trouble saving preparations should be in your car. Milkmaid Coffee and Milk. Such a change from tea. Coming towards the end of the news now for June 18th, back in 1920, we have this piece on the marvel of the motor car from the Daily Mail, Brisbane. Nothing in the mechanical world has equaled the automobile in the rapidity of its development. We accept the marvellous efficiency of the motor car as a matter of fact, and too often forget that as an example of swift development from crude beginnings to a perfected machine, the modern motor car stands unrivalled. It is less than 20 years ago that we accepted the horseless carriage as an accomplished fact. But in these days, no one ever pictured the luxurious limousine car with its possible speed of 60 miles per hour and its ability, if need be, to cover anything up to 300 miles in a day without a thought being given to the possibility of a mishap. Yes, we're talking about 60 miles per hour there, folks, so 90 k's an hour and covering up to 450 kilometres in a day. Just sounds amazing. The article continues. 
The amazing thing is that Monsieur Panhard and Levasseur, two French engineers, evolved 25 years ago a vehicle which comprised almost all of the essential features of the standard motor car today. Though 10 years previous, Gottlieb Daimler conceived the idea of building a light combustion engine for propelling a tricycle. The engine evolved by the two French men was mounted in front of the vehicle, under a bonnet, with its starting handle in front. There was a spring-actuated friction clutch, disengaged by a pedal for changing gear, which was affected by sliding into mesh pairs of spur wheels, mounted on paralleled shafts, which gave three forward speeds and a reverse. There was a pedal-operated foot brake, and a second brake applied by a hand lever. The cooling water was circulated by a pump, and all of these features are standard practice today. Although we accept them as a matter of course, we should try and realise what an enormous amount of thought and initiative must have been expended upon the problem of conceiving practical methods of applying the power of the Daimler engine to the propulsion of the road vehicle, and of inventing and designing suitable mechanism to accomplish those ends. Hmm... Quite a marvel to see how the car has come in uh, just 20 years and uh, hard to think about the car 100 years from then. Finally, we end on this piece for the ladies. Coming from the Wodonga and Towong Sentinel in Victoria, it talks of the art of fascination. To appear fascinating but more especially so in the eyes of the opposite sex, is with many charming women the sole aim and exhibition of life. Yet, strange and inexplicable though it may seem, many of those who take the greatest pains to appear fascinating fall widest of the mark of their endeavours. Why? Simply because they lack the knowledge of what to the opposite sex is fascinating. Therefore, their efforts are directed in mistaken channels. Too much is sacrificed at the shrine of personal adornment. Women are apt to overlook the fact that being well-dressed with elaborate jewels and wondrously arranged coiffures does not compensate for the magic charm of agreeable companionship, sweet sympathy and the art of conversing and listening intelligently. Certainly a man is always proud of a relative of striking presence, be she wife, mother or sister. But the woman whose companionship he loves, whose presence comforts him, is the woman of large sympathy and generous mind. Female bickerings, jealousies, vindictiveness, envy and selfishness, these are the things that repel a man and cause him to regard himself as mentally superior to women, for such ignoble little ways fill his large nature with disgust and loathing. A man admires most in a woman a sincere and candid nature. A woman who is thus gifted, and who is also blessed with a fair share of good looks, will undoubtedly be popular, especially if she is amiable. Most men would rather choose for a wife a woman of amiable disposition, even though she may be of homely appearance, then they would allow their choice to fall upon the most beautiful of her sex if the latter were a scold, fault-finder, and generally unamiable. She was so amiable, was the highest tribute a great man ascribed to his wife, 
and these words he caused to be placed upon her grave. So there you go, ladies. If you're struggling to find a man, maybe you need to be more amiable. I really shouldn't leave the episode at that except to say that all I'm doing is reflecting the papers from the 1920 and these papers do not reflect the views of the presenter. With that little disclaimer, we come to the end of today's bulletin. For June 18, 1920, this was the news. Spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from pewsopen.org. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe and review it on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday 2nd of July. I'm Roderick Matthews and this was The News. (laughs) 